We have reached uh, a uh, critical point in Proverbs as we've come to chapter 9. You know, life is full of decisions. Every single one of us, every day, we have to make decisions. Some of those are significant. Some of those are insignificant. And within decisions that you make, there's always choices. You choose something. And when you choose something, when you choose to take something in, when you choose to participate in something, when you choose to accept something, by nature you are rejecting other choices. We don't always think of it that way. If you go to a restaurant, you sit down, they put a menu in front of you. You decide, you choose what it is that you want for your meal. And the one thing that you choose, or or maybe you choose two, but of, of the things that you choose, you are, in essence, rejecting every other option that you had. When you decide what to do with your time, when you decide what to do with your free time, you're making a choice. And in choosing what you do with your time, you're rejecting other options. Maybe more significantly, I think about marriage. My wife and I, in two months, will have been married for... 24 years. 24 years ago when we got married, we made the choice to dedicate our lives to one another in marriage. In doing that, we rejected any other person that we could be with. From that moment on up until death, we rejected the notion that we would be with anyone else. So we make decisions, we make choices, and choices are always accepting something and rejecting other things. And that framework is important in Proverbs. Because to choose a life of wisdom, to choose to live wisely, means you are rejecting foolishness. You are rejecting the notion of folly. Consequently, or conversely, That if you choose to be foolish, if you choose to live in folly, you are rejecting wisdom. You are rejecting the application of God's Word in your life. You're making a choice, you're rejecting one thing and accepting something else. And what Proverbs has really been presenting to us all these weeks, and all these chapters, and all these sermons, what Proverbs has continued to show us over and over is there is no neutrality. There's no gray area you can live in. You can't put your foot, one foot in wisdom and one foot in folly and try to live in between. You must choose. You must decide. You are living wisely and pursuing wisdom or you are living foolishly pursuing folly. All of us are on one of those two paths. And so we've reached this final chapter of introduction to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9. The first nine chapters are this long intro to the wise sayings of Proverbs. And so it's, it's as if Solomon has brought us to this point to say, are you going to choose wisdom? And are you going to continue on from here in all of these wise sayings and learn from them and apply them and get the principles out of them? Because... I'm going to present to you all of these wise sayings that we have collected, that ultimately have divinely been collected. So are you going to continue on in pursuing wisdom, or are you going to reject it? 
And are you going to choose folly and to live foolishly? And the way that Solomon brings all this together in chapter 9 is he gives us one final picture of these two character types that we've seen week in and week out, lady wisdom and lady folly. And both of them are residing in a home, in a house that fits their nature. And both of them are calling out to people to come to their house and have a meal. Travelers of life are being called to both of these homes to come and to eat. And that meal represents the fact that we get hungry. Not physical hunger here, but spiritual hunger, longings. You probably don't always think of it that way, but you long spiritually. You long inside of yourself to be satisfied. There's a hunger in you. Just like you get hungry physically, you hunger in your spirit. And wisdom knows that and folly knows that, and both of them are preparing a meal for you. And they're saying, come be satisfied by what I have. And so you and I have to decide whose home we will feast in. And in deciding whose home we will feast in, we are rejecting the meal presented to us by the other. And that is what Solomon gives us in Proverbs 9. I want to read the the parts of the chapter that are not in your outline or in your worship guide where we see these two homes presented. So if you have a Bible this morning, if you'll go to Proverbs 9, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, and you would like a a copy of God's Word today, a study Bible, before you leave, let me know or let Nick know, and we will get you a copy of God's Word. We would love to gift that to you. Um, And if you want it right now, you can come tap Nick on the shoulder, and, and he'll get it for you. Proverbs chapter 9, starting with verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has honed her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast and she has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And go down to verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. If you're a note taker and you want to follow along in the worship guide, let's make some observations about these two homes and these two mills. First of all, wisdom builds And folly corrupts. Wisdom builds. Folly corrupts. We're told in verse 1, wisdom has built her house. 
And it is a large house. It is upheld by seven pillars. This is a magnificent home. The seven pillars may represent their perfection. It is a perfect home that she has built. And it is important to note, she is building something. She has built this. In other words, this home that she is inviting people into has come at personal cost. She has made an investment. She has taken her resources and she has used them to build a home for people to come to and to dine in. She has invested so that she might offer people the fruit of her labor. She has worked for them. Folly, on the other hand, when we get to to, to verse 13, folly built nothing. There's no mention of folly building or creating or investing anything. She simply sits on the porch of a house that is probably not even her own. Imagine in your mind a magnificent home on seven pillars, perfect. And then imagine this temporary shack that has not been built but stolen. Folly has not worked for anyone. There's no personal investment in what she offers. These two pictures are pointing us to God and Satan. Ultimately, wisdom is God, from God. Jesus is the man of wisdom. God builds. He builds for you. God works for you. When you run into someone, and you will, young people in college, older people in the workplace, when you run into those who say, every religion is ultimately the same, you know they are not. Because there is no religion in the world that teaches that it's God works for the people who believe in that religion other than Christianity. God builds for you. At His own cost, He has built something for you. At the cost of His Son, He has built a home for you to live in and for you to feast in. Satan builds nothing. Satan is a corrupter. All he has ever done is taken what God did and corrupted. God has built and given love. Satan corrupts that into lust, hatred. God has built and given truth. Satan corrupts that to lies. Everything that Satan uses, it is a perversion of the good gifts of God. Wisdom builds, folly corrupts. No one knows how to build your life better than God. No one. Because no one knows you better than God. And when you choose wisdom, and you choose to pursue wisdom and live wisely, you are choosing to be with the one who knows how to build your life. Who has built something for you at his own personal cost. So wisdom builds, folly corrupts. Secondly, wisdom trains, folly seduces. 
Wisdom trains, folly seduces. In verse 13, we are told, folly is a really loud woman. She is loud, she is seductive, and ultimately she knows nothing. In other words, she has no industry to offer anyone. She has created nothing, she's built nothing. Her call is not, come and partake in all that I have done for you. She has one thing to her advantage. She knows how to allure people. She knows how to attract people. Seducing, or to seduce, means to make appealing that which is deadly. She knows how to appeal to the travelers in such a way that they are attracted not to what she has done, but to what she offers. You will hear her. She is loud. As you travel in this life, you will hear folly crying out to you. And you will be attracted to what she offers. We have to call a spade a spade. Sin offers something to us that is attractive. There is a desire to what sin offers. We will be pulled toward it. There will be something in us that will want that. We will want to live that way, act that way, or react that way. And we need to know that because otherwise we're never going to be able to fully avoid that temptation. Wisdom, on the other hand, doesn't seduce. Wisdom trains. Verse 3, Lady Wisdom has disciples. Other young women that she has trained, she trains them and she sends them out. And they are sent out to display her way of life. They are sent out to reflect her. And they are sent out to offer to people what she has built. She sends out those that she has trained, and they go into the highways and the byways, the high places, the low places of life. They go there and they offer to anyone who will listen, come and partake in wisdom. Come to the home of wisdom. So you have two feasts, one at the house of Lady Wisdom, one at the house of Lady Folly. And the decision ultimately is, will you feast with folly and be deceived? Or will you feast with wisdom, with God, and be trained? That's what God offers you. It's not just to come and take a meal and be temporarily satisfied. It is to come and eat continuously and be changed. If, if you do not want to change, you are not in a place to be saved. Because pride says you are good like you are, you need nothing, you don't need to change, you don't need anything different. And so you would reject any notion of a call to the gospel that would present change to you. That is why 
churches that present a gospel that is simply come and be loved by God. That's why that is such an attractive call. The gospel call is come and be loved by God, and in His love, He is going to change you for the better. And the heart that is ready to receive that and be saved says, yes, that's what I want. Titus chapter 2, if you want to turn there, you can. I'm just going to read it to us. But Titus 2, verse 11 and 12, says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Paul's That's good news. Here's the light shining in the darkness of this world. The grace of God, the kindness of God, the unconditional mercy of God has appeared and offers to all people salvation. And then Paul continues, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. Not just offering salvation, but salvation that trains us. Trains us to do what? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That church is folly. And training us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives on this earth. That church is wisdom. The grace of God comes into your life to train you, save you and train you to reject folly and to live wisdom. Grace offers you what God has built for you. And grace trains you to live wisely. And then, as you're being made a disciple of wisdom, grace sends you out to call other people to come to wisdom. You become the display of godly wisdom in this life and in this world. And if you think that means perfection, then you just missed everything we just talked about. It doesn't mean perfection. It means that you're a person who is saying, I need to learn, I need to learn, I need to learn, I need to grow, and I am because of the grace of God. And He will do that for you as well. He has offered you the same feast. Come and eat. Come and drink. So, wisdom builds, folly corrupts. Wisdom trains, folly seduces. And wisdom gives, folly steals. Wisdom gives, folly steals. Look at verse 5. Lady Wisdom says, Come eat of my bread, drink of the wine that I have mixed. Look up at verse 2. She has slaughtered her beast, and she has mixed her wine, and she has also set her table. What? Wisdom is offering you is choice meat, choice wine. The mixing of wine is not putting water in it to dilute it, but spices that enhance it. She is offering you an incredible meal. Folly, on the other hand, verse 17. What does she offer you? Bread and water that has been stolen. Have you ever went to someone's house? You can admit this. But if you ever went to someone's house for dinner, and if they don't tell you what you're having, you wonder that in the back of your head. You're like, I wonder what they're going to feed us. And if they do tell you what you're going to have, do you, do you get a little bit more excited if it's something you really, really like? And if, if they're giving you something that you don't really care for, you're thinking, okay, what am I going to eat when I get home? Wisdom is offering you choice food. Folly is offering you bread and water that's been stolen 
So to put it another way, God offers you his best. Satan offers you only what he has taken. Bread and water that is sweet only for a while. Proverbs 20.17, if you're reading the wise sayings as we're doing that each week together. In Proverbs 20, verse 17, the wise saying is, Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. In other words, bread that you get by deception, bread that you get through folly, it is sweet. It tastes good momentarily. But the more you chew, it's like a mouthful of rocks. Not only is it not good, but it will break your teeth. What folly offers you will seem sweet at first. You must know that. If you base your life on how you feel, it will feel good. It will feel right. It will seem sweet. But destruction is coming. The gravel is coming. It will eventually destroy you. God... God is not like folly. Folly steals from you and steals from others. She lies about what she has to offer. What Solomon says is that she tells you to come into her house and eat this bread and drink this water. And what you don't know is that all of the other guests that have come to her house, they're dead behind the walls. That is what awaits people who live in this house and feast on her food. God, on the other hand, has prepared you a choice meal. When I read this, how wisdom is set before us a table, I thought of Psalm 23, where the psalmist says, God, you prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God offers you choice meal even in the midst of your difficulty. Even in the midst, when your life feels surrounded by your enemies, when life feels surrounded by difficulty and trial, God is preparing a meal for you even in the midst of that. Yes, one day in eternity you will feast with God, but even right now He's preparing and giving you a meal and feeding you abundant life. Anointing your head, overflowing your cup, giving you goodness and mercy all the days of your life because you dwell in His house. So feast in His home. Verse 6, Proverbs 9 says, Leave your simple ways and live. Not just barely live. That's a lie of the enemy. But live abundantly. That's the picture. It's very interesting what Solomon does as he paints this comparison. This decision. Receive what is built for you or what has been corrupted. Be trained by God or seduced and deceived by the enemy. Be given to or be stolen from. How much of our life gets stolen when we live into foolishness? In the midst of this comparison of these homes, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, Solomon gives another comparison. And in that comparison, he presents a warning to us. 
part of the warning is if you choose folly and you stay on that path, here's where you're headed. But also part of that warning is if you are choosing wisdom, you need to know what that looks like versus what it looks like to live as a foolish person. Because here's the reality, and I, I believe this, you can be saved and still live foolishly. You can belong to God, yet still act in a foolish way. And I think that's part of where this warning is coming from in Proverbs 9. Even as you set your heart for wisdom, even as you set your heart and you say, I want to be a wise person, every single day you may still wrestle with foolishness and you may give yourself to it. And so here's here's the question. If God is training you and God is changing you, and God is teaching you as a saved person, as a Christian, how to love the Lord and love others, if God is doing that, it is going to require for you to receive instructions and get corrected. And here's the question that Solomon presents. How do you respond when you're corrected? How do you respond when you're instructed? Because if you've set your heart to wisdom, there's a certain way you have to respond. If, if you are living in the folly, here's what it's going to look like eventually. So it's very important as a person who wants to pursue wisdom to feast in this house of wisdom that you understand what it looks like to be corrected. So let's read verses 7 through 10 again. Whoever corrects a scoffer, which by the way, a scoffer in Proverbs is a hardened fool. Not just someone who's foolish, but someone who's hardened themselves in their foolishness. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So back in your notes... Wisdom corrects, folly excuses. Wisdom corrects, folly excuses. A wise person knows they have a whole lot to learn. If you are wise, you know I have a whole lot to learn. I've said this on our podcast that we're doing as we go through these wise sayings, and I've probably said this to you many times before. But I think the very first thing that my mentor, my pastor said to me right here at this church many years ago when I started engaging in ministry and felt a call on my life, he said, always stay teachable. And he followed that up by saying, the day that you think you have nothing to learn, you will be disqualified from being able to shepherd or pastor anyone. A wise person knows they have much to learn and they desire to learn. They want to. Foolish people would rather stay the way they are because they don't think there's anything wrong. They don't want to be corrected. And so what a, what a foolish person will do is anytime someone tries to correct them, they will excuse their behavior. They will say why it was okay for them to do what they did and why they don't need correction. 
And what Revelation 3.19 tells us, and this is throughout the Bible as well, is that God rebukes and disciplines or corrects and instructs those that He loves. We sang earlier, you're a good father and I'm loved by you. A sign that you are loved by God is He will instruct you and correct you. That's one of the ways that you know God loves you. And while that's not pleasant, and even Hebrews says discipline is not always pleasant, but it's training you for something. It's good for you. How does God instruct and correct us in your notes? Four ways that I thought of, and this is probably not the only four ways, but God instructs and corrects us through authority, through community, through circumstances, and sometimes through enemies. God instructs and corrects His people through authority, through community, through circumstances, and through enemies. He places authority over us. Sometimes in a secular sense, it's a boss. He puts order in family. He puts order in churches. He does those things to help instruct and correct us. He puts us inside of a community of believers. So that that community, the other people who are also being trained by God, can help instruct and correct us. Sometimes God molds our circumstances so that we learn. Sometimes He causes things to happen or He doesn't let things happen so that we learn and we're instructed, we're corrected. And sometimes He even uses our enemies. I can think of two instances in my life, both of them over 15 years ago, where someone said to me something extremely harsh. Actually, someone who'd set themselves up as an enemy in my life. I do not think they loved me or cared for me. And they said something harsh to me. But I greatly learned from those words. And even today, I still remember and I've learned from them. So God is always instructing and correcting us through authority, community, circumstances, and enemies. The question becomes, as a person of wisdom, how do you respond when you're corrected? How do you respond when you're instructed? And here's what Solomon says in your notes. The foolish will react to instruction and correction with hatred, and they will harden their ways, or they will harden in their ways. That's how a foolish person responds to being corrected. They do not take correction well. Solomon warns, if you go to correct a hardened fool, you're going to get abused. If you go to correct someone who is a wicked person, you're going to get injured. If you go to reprove or instruct a scoffer, he will end up hating you. The foolish react with hatred. They don't take correction well. They don't want to learn. When we don't want to learn, when we are acting foolishly, many times when someone goes to correct us, we will have two primary reactions. The first one is we will immediately point out what's wrong with the person who's correcting us. Oh, we're going to do this? I'm glad. I actually have a list of things that I'd like to share with you. We do this in marriage. 
I've, I've kind of been saving this up. We don't really listen because we're ready to give our own list. Another way that when we're acting foolishly, we respond to correction is we point out all the flaws in the way the person is trying to correct us. We point out the flaws in the process. We point out what they didn't do or the way they went about it. Again, we're not really listening. We're just saying, here's what's wrong with your approach. Here's the reality. If someone corrects you, other than God, you will always be corrected by a flawed person. When God uses community or authority, there will always be flawed people because none of us are perfect. And often the process by which we are corrected will be flawed. Circumstances will often be flawed. Our enemies will be flawed, yet God uses them. When you correct a foolish person, they may pull away from you. They may reject you. They may pull back from you and not want to be around you or punish you in the relationship by withdrawing from you because they don't want to hear your correction. And if we're acting foolishly and someone tries to instruct us, that may be how we react to them. We might try to put them at arm's distance because we don't want to hear what they have to say and we're angry that they would try to correct us. The wise, on the other hand, in your notes, the wise react with love and they ultimately advance in maturity. The wise react to correction and instruction with love, and ultimately they advance in maturity. Verse 8 and 9, reprove a wise man, he will love you. Give instructions to a wise man, and he will still, and he will be still wiser. He will grow in wisdom. They will love you, and they will mature. Now, let's just say this, that doesn't mean... When it says they will love you, that doesn't necessarily mean in the moment. It doesn't necessarily mean right away. I don't know anyone who wakes up, gets their coffee, contemplates their day, and says, you know what would really make this day perfect? If someone would call me up and tell me all the things I'm doing wrong. That would be lovely. You know what I would love if my spouse would do today? I would love if they would point out a character flaw. So I could correct that. That would be awesome. I would love them for that. Like no one thinks that way. But what Solomon is saying is that when you've had a moment to step back and think about what's happening, you love someone who cares about you enough to try and correct you. You love someone who speaks truth into your life. And you know what? If it's an enemy... You may not love them, but you may love what God is doing to help you learn. You may not love the circumstance you find yourself in, but you will be grateful that God is using it to help you to grow in maturity. A wise person wants to learn, even if the person is flawed or the process is flawed. They want to learn. Every single one of us in this room needs at least one person in our life who we can say to them, how can I improve? And we will listen.
If you have no one in your life that you have opened up to in such a way that they know they can come to you and offer correction and you will receive it, you are going to lack in maturity. And, and, and look, we know, and, and if you're someone who, like, don't take joy in correction. <laughs> if you walk around all the time, you're like, I can't wait to correct someone today. This is how I'm going to love people. This is my spiritual gift, correction. All right, we can go off the rails with this. But in community, we should all have people that we can go to and say, hey, what do you see in me? We haven't talked in a while. Like, what do you see? How do I need to improve? And, and we need to be that for someone. We need to be someone who they can come to us. and ask. We need those relationships in the church. Every one of us probably knows someone that you could, you could picture in your mind and you would say, man, if I had to correct them, that would go bad. Like, I would be so nervous if I had to instruct this person. I would be so nervous if I had to go to them. But here's the question that I want to ask us, self-diagnostic, and it's in your notes. Usually I do life truths. This week I'm doing life questions. The first one is this, how would someone feel if they had to correct me? If someone needed to come to me and give me correction, how would they feel as they came to me to do that? Would they be nervous? Would their hands be ringing? Would they have that sick feeling in the pit of their stomach? Would they be afraid of how I would react, that I would abuse them, injure them, yell at them, scream at them, pull away from them? Or would they, would they be able to say, you know, I don't really enjoy this. This is not really what I want to do, but I know ultimately they're going to love me for this and respond well. And this, this will go good because they are a person who wants to learn. And then here's the second diagnostic question. This is the first one leads into this one. If I am wrong, do I want to learn and change? Yeah, okay, the, the initial answer to that question will be yes. But now go deeper than that. If you are wrong, do you want to know it? If you are behaving wrongly, if you have a character flaw, if you are treating people incorrectly, if you are thinking incorrectly, do you want to know that so you can change? Even if it is a deep-held belief, even if it is something that you've thought this way or been this way a long time, do you want to change? Because if you do, then you are ready to receive the correction of God as a child of God. If you don't, then you need prayers for humility in your heart that you would be willing to receive correction and learn. And we need the kind of community where we can come together and love each other. That's why I keep imploring you, not just the Sunday mornings, yes, I want you to come here and, and be a part of this gathering, but we need community groups. We need, we need to be in places where we can sit and talk and build fellowship learn and love together, and we need to build the kind of relationships that somebody can come to us and say, brother, sister, look, I'm worried about this, and I want to talk to you about it. And that we will not pull back in anger. And we might not love it in the moment, but later we will be able to see, that person cares for me. I don't want us to be a church where we're walking around trying to find everyone's flaws. 
But I do want us to be a people that are willing to learn and grow. And we're willing to invest in each other so that happens. And we don't need to start with others. We need to start with us. Am I open to correction? Am I open to being instructed? And that is as true for me as anyone else in the church. Life is full of decisions. Every day, big and small. And every one of our decisions have ramifications to them. And none is bigger than the choice of whose house you will visit most frequently and feast in. Wisdom or folly. The call from of old, generations and generations before we were ever a thought on the earth, the call of God is choose this day who you will serve. Choose because you have to. And while this seems like an easy choice, it often isn't because we have a nature that leans into folly. That's why you have to choose because not, choo- not choosing, you're going to end up on the path of folly because that's what our nature leans into. We have a taste for stolen bread and water. But God has made a way for you to live wisely. He has loved you and He has worked for you in Jesus Christ. He has built you a home. Jesus Christ perfectly chose God always. He was the wisest man who ever lived, but He died like a fool. Why did He die the death of a foolish person? That we might come and feast in the house of wisdom. The only reason that is an open call for us today is because of what Christ has done. I said all of Proverbs points to Jesus. Jesus built the house. Jesus is the house. Jesus prepared the meal. Jesus is the meal. He is the bread of life. His body, the bread broken. His blood, the wine Excuse me, yeah, his blood, the wine, spilled out. And he is the lamb sacrificed for us. That choice meat. Trusting in Jesus is a one-time choice you make, but it is also a daily decision where you choose to follow his examples. And when you do that, you are rejecting folly. But you can only do that in the power of God, and God promises you his spirit to help you if you will repent and ask Him to be saved. And if you are saved every day when you realize you're living foolishly, you repent and ask God for help to keep going. The gates to the house of wisdom are called the fear of the Lord. You and I fear a lot of things. If we're honest, we fear that which will impact us, that which will hurt us. We fear people's evaluation sometimes and what they will say about us. The Bible says we should fear one thing. God and His evaluation of us. And His evaluation of us is this. You are foolish. And without help, you will become a hardened scoffer. But I have done something for you in Jesus. I have forgiven you. Come and receive that forgiveness and be changed. So today, as the worship team comes up, I want to invite them.
to come back up to lead us in song. And we're going to pray together. But I would ask you to listen to these three calls and you think where you are and where you need to be. Repent and be baptized. Come to believe in Christ. I say it all the time. I'm not asking you if you've been in church your whole life. I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm asking you, have you ever turned to Christ and asked Him to save your soul? And if not, today's the day of salvation. Repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus. Ask to be saved. And follow that up with baptism. A public declaration of your faith. If you've already done that, take the next obedient step. What is that? Whatever God is telling you right now. Whatever He is calling you to. Whatever He is dealing with you about. Take that next step. Be bold. And all of us serve and share the gospel. You are being trained by wisdom to go out and display wisdom and call people to Christ. Personal evangelism that you might share Jesus with people that they too might come and enjoy that feast. There are seats all around you at that table that are empty, ready to be filled by people who receive that call. And we are to go and we are to share about the wisdom of God and display the wisdom of God that people might come and receive. So wherever you find yourself, if it's coming to know Christ, if it's taking that next step, if it's just wanting to be more bold in sharing your faith, or if it's all of those things, move in response to God today. We're going to have some prayer partners over to my left. They are here to pray for you about anything today that you need prayer for. So if it's about something we've been talking about, come and be prayed for. If, it is, if it's for physical healing or some other issue that is burdening you, come and be prayed for. If you want to talk about your relationship with Jesus, please let me know that before you leave today. You can come right now and right away where I'm standing if you want, or just before you leave this room, see me or come talk to Nick and let us know. I, I, something's going on in my relationship with Christ, or I want to have a relationship with Him. And we will, sh- we will talk with you, or I will make time to talk with you. So Father, I ask today that you would help us to be a wise church that feasts in the house of wisdom. A people who sit at the table that you have built and enjoy the meal that you are serving us. You are a good God. You serve your people. Not because we're the center of everything. Because in your wisdom, you had the righteous man die for the unrighteous. And you offer us grace that saves and trains. So God, let us today be exceedingly glad to be trained by you. As Eric had us praying earlier, that Jesus would increase in our life and our foolish self would decrease. As was said, let that be our refrain in our minds, our life verse, more of Christ and less of me. God, I pray anyone in this room today who doesn't know Jesus and has not started that journey, that right now you would open their eyes and they would cry out to be saved. Anyone who has not been baptized, God, to publicly 
profess that faith. Give them the ability to do that today, to, to take that step. And God, whatever you're speaking to our lives about, let us be bold to answer your call. Give us more of Christ. Help us when you correct us and you instruct us in whatever manner you do to respond well and not stay in our hardened state. But in humility, want more of Jesus. God, work miracles among us right now as we respond to your word. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.